Welcome to the Stockman Grass Farmer Podcast, where our mission is to help create a healthy planet and people through profitable grass-based livestock production. Grass farming is a 24-7 job and you can't always get away, so we've put together this podcast so that you can listen while you work or whatever you're doing, but always on your schedule, whenever and wherever you want. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to freebies and special offers. Join our email family and stay up to date on our happenings and like us on social media. This is part one from Abram Bowerman's talk, Sheep, Corner the Prophet at Stockman Grass Farmers 2022 Gathering at Polyface. Forage availability and labor are the biggest challenges limiting full-time shepherds. Abram shares how he overcame these obstacles to become a self-financed grazier by the age of 25. He grazes multi-species with sheep as the centerpiece. Be sure to check out the show notes to learn more. Thank you for being here and enjoy the presentation. Abram has come to the Stockman Grass family kind of just out of, out of, uh, well, where everybody comes out of their own, you know, uh, uh, trials and errors and what they're doing. And some people are up to the task of making themselves vulnerable by, talking about their successes and failures. That's the, that's the critical part of storytelling, isn't it? Being able to, to be vulnerable. And um, Abram's opened himself up to us. We've run several articles. Those of you who read the magazine faithfully have seen several by him, about him. <clears throat> Young bootstrapper uh, without a lot of, you know, with no, uh, um, you know, off-farm, you know, family, whatever, nest egg. And um, his story is just great, and his youthfulness is one of the things that really attracted me to it. You know, people normally, if even the most successful people, arrive where he is somewhere in their late 30s, and he's arriving here in his mid-20s. And that's just a dramatic story, and I think will be an inspiration uh, to all of us. So he's a sheep guy. So all of you that have been waiting all weekend, let's hear something about sheep. You're going to hear a lot about sheep right now, and we can't be more excited and honored, Abram, to have you here and let and have you share with us. Thank you. Come on. Yeah, I'm honored to be here too. I, I, I was uh, I pulled Joel's letter out of the mailbox, and I I got a sneaking suspicion something this might, like this might be coming and my hands just went to trembling I could hardly open the thing and sure enough he wondered if I would uh, be willing to consider speaking at this event um, I haven't been a part of the family for a long time I, I uh, have only been subscribing for a few years but I've been aware of the Stockman grass farmer been aware of it since all oh, my mid-teens. I'm 28 now, in case anyone's wondering. Um, in the course of things, I decided I was going to I'd subscribe. There, there's no reason to learn all this stuff on your own the hard way. Uh, I had read enough to realize that uh, Joel Salatin, Greg Judy, some others were had a similar uh, learning curve that I was going down and I had just will fast forward my act a little by uh, investing in education. Education is accelerated experience uh, almost anyway. It, it, it's, uh, it's not quite as good as experience but education is a, a big leg up 
So I started subscribing to the Stockman Grass Farmer and uh, I have a neighbor there that's been subscribing, uh, I think pretty much from the inception of the paper. And he was kind enough to let me borrow all his back issues. So I did a lot of catching up and I feel like I, I uh, know Alan and Carolyn and all the rest of them like I was all the way through it with them because I got to read the whole story and all at once. So that was, that was kind of a uh, uh, big benefit there. And so anyway, a little bit on my history, uh, as far as the introduction, when I was 10, I had been uh, picking up pop cans and road ditches and recycling uh, just for a little cash, which I don't think I'd spend a dollar of it. Uh, by the time I was 10 years old and started growing cherry tomatoes and was uh, taking them to the local produce auction and selling them. So I, I raked together enough cash to buy a, a, a sheep from one of the neighbors and that was my beginning. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I just wanted to be in sheep and ag in general. So like any young boy with plenty of time, you got to entertain yourself on something. I spent that time out there watching that sheep. She soon had lambs. The lambs grew up and had lambs. And the best education I ever got was watching what those animals ate, when they ate it, and how they responded to what was uh, in their their environment. Uh, when, when my dad, this is hard to have to say this, but he, We've never seen eye to eye on uh, how to run a farm. His profit center was his produce. We had 315 acres, and he had 50 cows, and over time, they were set stocked, and over time, that number dwindled to 30. Our carrying capacity was going down. I spent a good bit of my summer putting up hay, and we fed up to seven months a year. I said, we can do better than this. So when I was 15, I... Uh, scared up three spools, not a reel, there was no handles on them, just a spool, and a bunch of soft wire, and started, he had an old six volt Parmac fence charger, and I, I started moving his cow herd with those three spools and uh, some re-rod posts, which I discarded as soon as possible. <laughs> uh, Within one year, he saw how determined I was and how much hay feeding we had reduced and how much better the cows were doing. So he went out and bought me three cord wheels with poly wire on them and one box of poly posts, and I thought I really had the world by the tail. <laughs> when I was 17, I'm like, I'm going to scale this sheep thing up a little. We're going to uh, get serious about this. Um, all my sheep contacts would have been uh, high input. We lamb them in a jug. Uh, if they need wormed, we warm them. Uh, we don't ask questions why they need wormed. Sheep just need wormed. Um, so we added some improved breeds and uh, went to midwinter lambing. And I found out that uh, not all sheep, we, we, had, we still had the same ewe base, but a different terminal ram. And the lambs were so stupid that I had to help them learn to nurse. And I'm like, how's this going to go? I've got a goal here of going full time on the farm and, and there's not enough hours in a day to take care of enough sheep to ever make this work. 
So that was about the time I got serious about uh, uh, learning off of others, and I decided I was just going to have to change my mindset of what a sheep looked like and how much time she deserved from me. So going forward, it was obvious I had two big challenges. I needed land. I wasn't going to inherit the family farm. I did buy 40 acres out of one corner, but you, you, there's a limit to how many sheep you can put on there, and you have to pay for that farm. Uh, rented land was an obvious conclusion. Don't own the land, just control the land. I looked around for years to land the rent, for land the rent and never found any. I made people offers, um, drove up all around the community. We're in an increasingly crop-dominated area, and if it comes out of crops, it goes back into the Conservation Reserve Program, otherwise known as CRP, and I can't compete with the prices on either one, or don't want to at least. So I finally gave up and said, well, we're just going to have to settle down and grow produce, and when I can buy land, then we'll, we'll scale the livestock thing up and there was a what happened to be the very grass farmer that I borrowed all these SGF uh, back papers from come by one day and he said I'm wanting to integrate sheep into my operation I've got 400 acres here and I'm, I'm wanting to get someone else to come in and put a flock of sheep on the farm uh, he said what's the best scenario so that I can be compensated and it works for them and uh, it doesn't hurt my cattle in the meantime. So we talked about it for two or three hours, and I said, Dennis, if this man doesn't bite or your thing doesn't go through, come back to me. I said, I'll, I'll do it if he doesn't. Well, that's what happened. He came back, and we sat down and worked the plan on out and basically settled on uh, rent by the head, by the day, based on the standard animal unit's table. So what that does is as the ewe comes into lactation, she's going to increase her forage consumption, and I pay more by the day. Uh, as the lambs begin to grow, your rent per head is always changing, going up or down. Uh, we had to modify a little after about a year because I was spending more time on balancing the, the grazing records and the compensation sheet with him than I was on my taxes. And I didn't enjoy numbers. He was a numbers man, and, and he really uh, pushed me to it. But we did work it out in time to where we had a, a fairly um, low-maintenance protocol, and we didn't have to meet all the time. I knew about how fast his cattle were traveling, and I just kind of adjusted sheep moves accordingly so there was no conflicts of interest there. And then we would meet occasionally and, and settle the books. Uh, so I'm like, I, I think we, we're on to something here. We've got to integrate more species into the landscape. We've got to develop this monetary landscape to a higher level to get more people out here on the land. And so I'd stop by uh, another neighbor. His name's Larry. And he's, uh, you know, should be retired and hasn't yet. And his, his family aren't wanting to farm and... Uh, he's he was complaining to me that he just couldn't find dependable help and he can't raise cattle without a hand at times and he needs that hand when he needs it. 
He said, crops are going up and I'm already cropping some. He said, I'm going to spray the whole place down and we're going to um, start cropping it. He said, I can drive the truck out to the field and get in the combine and do a few rounds and then drive the truck out of the field. He said, I can do planting and harvesting by myself. I said, Larry, before you do that, I said, I've got a plan I'm going to run by you, and if you don't like it, just tell me to shut up. And I said, I think we could, we could uh, begin to rotate these cows and grow enough more feed on this farm uh, to cover the labor. I said, to further facilitate that, I'll, what I'm suggesting here is I'll begin to rotate your cows and I'll bring in so many sheep and I get all that forage for free and you get your labor for free. You're, you're going to feed less hay, you're going to make less hay, your cattle are going to do better, you're going to be less, spending less time on the bush hog. And to my surprise, he bit. So uh, we decided not to have a contract in this case, I did on the first one. And my reasoning there was a contract is to hold someone to something they don't want to be involved in. And I'm like, if I'm on that side of it, I don't want to be there. And if he's on that side of it and I'm holding him to it, he can make life pretty miserable for me when I'm not on the farm, leaving gates open or whatever else. So it's just kind of a principle of mine uh, to work the relationship good enough that we don't need a contract. So we settled on adding a 20% increase in stocking rate the first year, which we didn't accomplish for six months because I didn't have the funds to go out and buy the sheep. And, and I was going to finish coming up to numbers with the ewe lambs from that first year. Uh, we were six months in advance of the grazing season, beginning to do these details, but since we hadn't never had a contract, I really couldn't say this is the date we're going to start this on. Uh, he kind of hedged around all winter and spring come and he showed up one day and said, I just fed my last bale. He said, it's time for you to show me what you can do. And I, <laughs> I, I went down there and, and looked around and the, the, he had opened all the gates on the farms and there was, the, whole, the pastures were moonscaped and the cows had been out grubbing it all spring. And I'm like, Larry, I, I mean, wire will work miracles here, but first there has to be something to move these cows to or we have to leave them on the whole place because they're covering the whole farm every day they're out there. And he said, well, you got to figure it out. So I, <laughs> I, I looked around the, the farm and I said, you got this bean ground over here that you've been growing wheat on and uh, you're just spraying that down and planting beans back in it. I said, what if we would uh, rotate the cows through that for 30 days? And he said, go ahead. So uh, we went out and bought a bunch of poly wire and geared reels. He, he had done all the fencing. And we went and set it up and, and took the cattle off the grass for 30 days and uh, gave the grass a chance to get going. So that first summer was a little rough. We didn't have very much cross fencing in other than what was uh, existing there. The one thing that was going for us, he had five herds running on about 740 acres and most of it was contiguous. And 
most herds had at least three paddocks. The, so all we had to do, in my mind, was combine five herds into one herd and we had 15 paddocks that we could have started rotating the cows through. Well, that was the, the first hurdle. He never had all them cows in one herd. He, it, it was going to be a wreck. There was like 190 head or something there. and We just don't do that in the Midwest. You don't put 190 head in one, one group. And I said, Larry, I know it can be done. I've seen 500. Well, we worked at it a while and worked at it, and he agreed to let me combine them into two herds. So we, we got that done uh, by the middle of the summer, and that lowered our workload uh, quite a bit because I was only out moving two herds instead of five. Um, going forward, there was a television show on the farm, leasing the farm for filming wildlife and hunting activities. And it was a major concern with him that we not upset those folks because their check wasn't too much smaller than his net profit off those cows. And so I could see that. We had to set up fences in a way they could get through whenever they showed up. And uh, occasionally would have a gate that they would have to open. And, and he was kind of concerned about that. But it actually turned out to be a win-win. They reported a huge increase in wildlife sightings in daylight out in the pastures. Larry came to me and said, what, what's causing this? What's the difference? I said, well, there's something out there to eat now. <laughs> And so the, the, the television show was happy, and Larry was happy. The cows started doing a little better, uh, some. I mean, they'd, they'd had a rough winter. And I, I suppose I was happy. I, I'd become a full-time farmer. That's what I was wanting to do. My only investment was the livestock. And a little bit of fencing, portable, I owned the portable fencing that I used on the sheep. Uh, I only owned 40 acres and it was set up on, on an interest-free basis with my dad, so it wasn't really a bad deal there. But most of my equity was coming from uh, farms that I didn't even, okay, I need to back up. That first farm with Dennis, in time, we got it switched to where I was also taking care of the cows, and what, being a numbers man, we didn't do an even swap there. Uh, I. He, he paid me by the day for taking care of the cows. I paid him by the day for the sheep. And then we did an exchange, so there wasn't a lot of money changing hands. So in essence, I was taking care of 300 cows, and I had about 400 ewes. And no rent bill. Just whatever came in is what we got. And almost no expenses uh, as far as the business was concerned. So that's that's how I circumvented the the rent thing we were coming in here from staunton this or stanton this morning and i saw a sign out on the north side of the road it said pasture for rent and i'm like wow i've never seen that before that'd be nice <laughs> so So back on Larry's farm again, uh, it wasn't just the wildlife increase. It wasn't a little less hay we fed. There was a lot of benefits, and I began to write them down over time. 
as I'd be around him, and he would uh, tell me, share something uh, just out of the blue. He'd be like, these calves are looking good, or um, I don't think I'm going to have to precondition them in the feedlot this fall. And when he ran that first, actually both years I was there, when the calves were weaned, they, they stayed on hay, and he typically would have put them on uh, a grain ration for, I think, 60 days or so and was generally spending around $20,000 a year on pre-conditioning those calves. And he didn't do that. He was just jumping up and down. Well, today that would cost him 40000 because grain has basically doubled from the time frame we were doing this in. Uh, another benefit was he had a lot less weed pressure. The sheep, well, forb pressure. The, the sheep were taking care of that problem for him. Uh, hay was cut back about two months from what he had been feeding. And the second year into the program, he acknowledged the calf crop was the best he had ever weaned. The, the cows were beginning to express their uh, full genetic potential, beginning to. I believe it would have got a lot better, and I haven't been back lately. I don't really know. They may be continuing to do better, but, but these cows... And this was a lesson that I learned the hard way. We were going to do a 20% increase in stocking rate here without increasing acreage in the rotation, other than I tried to get some hay into it, and we only got a little bit of it. Um, but these cows were running at about 80% of their optimum capacity. So when we grew more feed, what happened? They all ate 20% more than before. And that put a crunch on, on our stocking rate for a while, so we were always looking around at the, the edges that he hadn't been using. Can I fence in this riparian area and put cattle in here when it's dry? Uh, can we do the wheat again this spring? And by doing that, we, we did manage to keep our numbers together, but it was a miscalculation on my part at the beginning that we could do a 20% increase in stocking rate as in 20% more animals because the animals weren't performing, they were starving in other words uh, on what, what was actually being grown on the farm. So if you're going to ever implement something like that you might want to consider uh, what do the animals look like. Is, is he actually carrying the animals that's here or are they just kind of existing on this place? If they're only existing you're going to have to allow some of the increased production to bring those animals up to a healthy level. So, obviously in this scenario, uh, my limiting factor on scaling was how many cows I could move in a day. The land was scattered out about uh, eight miles from tip to tip and they were opposite directions from my place. I was spending too much time on the road. If we had a flood I had to cover too much ground to get fences back up. We remedied some of that by uh, redoing the fences and raising some of the ones over the creek and some of that but that all takes some time to work, work a relationship. I was you know 25, this guy is 70 and he's been here and I'm new to it so 
it, it takes a little time to win their confidence that you're not just trying to turn their place upside down. We actually have a problem with where this fence is at. It needs to be adjusted a little bit. So what, what do you think it took to make this relationship work between a millennial and a baby boomer? Communication. <laughs> a lot of it. We spent a lot of late evenings on his porch just talking. Um, and not necessarily about cows and sheep. Uh, just kind of like we heard yesterday. Whatever he wanted to talk about, we'd talk about it. And then we would try to talk about cows and sheep before it would leave. Uh, so... It was, it was heavily impressed on me that for young people who weren't born into a ranching family to gain grazing opportunities, that we must be willing to do what other people are not willing to do to gain grazing opportunities. There's alternatives out there. Uh, I think I found one. Is it the only option? No. Uh, rent would, I, I, I would have been better off if I could have done that, but I, I, uh, I couldn't find land to rent. So it, it did give us a way to get in and scale our sheep numbers up. Land came up for rent in the area after about two years. And using profits, I uh, went ahead and bought some more land too. And we moved off onto my own enterprise in time. And, and I'm no longer directly associated with uh, either one as far as taking care of their cows or their sheep. And, you know, the cool thing was when we talked about terminating it, um, my fear originally was that the place was going to go under crops. He kind of got his second wind after getting away from the cows for a little bit. And when he saw how easy it was to move these cows, he took up what I was doing, and he's still rotating those cows today, and the place is still all in grass. So I think in any relationship, communication is probably the most important uh, aspect of uh, uh, making it work. I had a farm I leased uh, about a year ago, been a year and a half ago, and I released a herd of cows I was going to custom graze on it, and he thought I was a sheep man. He kind of got upset, but after we talked through it, he admitted he didn't care what species was on it. It was a matter of expectations. So the, the lesson for me there was whatever you're planning to do, if you're going to have multiple species, and let's say you're in cattle country and they don't know you and they don't know that you're going to buy sheep, tell them you're going to put some sheep on there because uh, it could be offensive to them just, just because they're going to they're gonna be concerned about what the neighbors think. And on the other hand, they may kind of like seeing them out there. But ha have them... Uh, clearly understand what you're planning on doing on the landscape to avoid conflict and that way you can get that place signed back up when it's time to renew. Is there any questions on any of that before we move on? Yeah. The question is uh, how did we integrate the sheep into the cattle operation? Were they running together as a flurd, or were they 
like leader follower. In this case, they both had their individual uh, rotation. So I would at the time, midsummer, we'd usually be on a 60-day uh, rest period, and I would generally take the sheep around once and then take them over here and go around and the cows would reverse and go back through the same place. But it, it, it turns into a little bit of organized chaos. You're always trying to balance everything because we had less sheep than we had cows and acreages never line up and what's growing on the acres determines how much you're grazing what's out there. So that was the uh, kind of the way we went at it. It was a uh, cool season grass mix and the sheep tended to walk down what they didn't like, which makes an excellent solar panel if you just leave it there. And if we put the cows through first, they were taking out the clovers and the sheep, sheep need some of that broadleaf along with uh, the grass they eat. So uh, I'm sure there's no wrong way of doing anything if your stocking rate is correct. Uh, if I ha had only had, let's say, one sheep for every 10 cows, I would probably lead with the sheep and follow with the cows. But we had enough numbers to actually significantly impact the sword. And the cows would turn their noses up and the cows wouldn't leave enough for the sheep. So we basically had them on two separate rotations and just reversed at every opportunity. Yeah. I'll get into that one later. Um, the, the, the first part of the question was, I mentioned that I had to change my mind on what a sheep looked like. I was raising wool sheep, and the first time I was introduced to hair sheep, I'm like, no, this ain't a sheep. This <laughs> and it, it was, emotional equity was a lot of it for a youngster. Um, you kind of get these warm fuzzies when you're around a certain species and and uh, they make you happy and you get around another species and it's just not to me a hair sheep and a wool sheep is two different species today when today I'm running hair sheep when I get back around a flock of wool sheep I don't really feel at home unless there is a lot of variation in wool sheep. Let's say I'm around the bigger frame breeds. I don't feel very at home. But if I do get back with the smaller frame, uh, like the hill breeds from England, uh, it does bring back some memories. I could, I could kick back in there pretty fast. Yeah. Well, the question is the ratio of sheep to cows on Larry's farm. Uh, we had two herds, and I never integrated the sheep into about one-third of the farm. It was separated by hay ground and by a major creek, and there just wasn't an, quite enough incentive to send the flock over there, and I wasn't going to put... A flock on each side. So what actually happened was a little over half the cows was running on the same land as all the sheep 
which was less than ideal, but I just didn't stay long enough to remedy it. Uh, we, we had around 240 to 270 head, depending on the time of year, of ewes, and there was roughly 90 cows and their calves in that rotation. I hope you enjoyed this presentation. Well, check out the episode notes. And always remember the advice from cows and be outstanding in your field. See you next time.